baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello again and welcome to another episode of From the Diamond. I'm Grant McCauley and this is the continuation of my Braves positional preview series, the audio version or companion, if you will, for what you have found over at FromTheDiamond.com. It's in five parts over there, so the podcast will be in five parts as well. And Corey McCartney is going to help me out as we talk about the Atlanta catchers in this particular episode. Before we jump into it, let me remind you to subscribe to From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Leave those ratings and those reviews and follow along on social media. Twitter, you can find the show at From the Diamond underscore. I am at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. The show is on Instagram at From the Diamond, and I am on Instagram as well. At Grant McCauley is where you can find me. And you can find every episode of the show, my Braves positional preview series, and all the articles and good stuff at FromTheDiamond.com. Let's jump into the next stage of this Braves positional preview series, the audio portion of that. Let me welcome back in Corey McCartney, who writes, of course, right now for Talking Chop. You can check out his articles on a weekly basis there. And Corey is also the author of Tales from the Atlanta Braves Dugout, and an updated version of that book is coming out at the beginning of March. Corey, tell us a little bit about Tales from the Atlanta Braves Dugout and what people can expect from the updated edition. Yeah, if you had the first version, uh, I thank you so much. Uh, the second one, I feel like, is so much more of a complete work. Uh, added some new chapters on it. One I'm really excited about sharing with people about Freddie Freeman. Um, I find it fascinating that there's not really been a definitive feature on Freddie Freeman, and I I hope that I wrote it. I mean, it's about six thousand words, wow. like twenty some pages. I spoke to so many people around him and just found out so many great nuggets about Freddie. I mean, he gave me almost an hour of his time. Um, you know, talk to his dad, the scout that they assigned him, just his high school coaches. And um, I, I really hope people appreciate it and enjoy it. It was uh, it was a lot of fun to write. All right. So you can get that on March the 3rd, Amazon, Barnes and Noble and wherever books are sold. Fine books, we'll call them that, Corey. So I'm looking forward to reading the updated version of Tales from the Atlanta Braves dugout. Also, make sure you're following Corey on Twitter at Corey J. McCartney. That's where you can find the links to his work. And of course, find out a little bit more about Tales from the Atlanta Braves dugout. But right now, let's find out a little bit more about the Atlanta Braves bullpen. And let's start with the big, splashy signing that started the offseason for the Braves as well. And that was bringing over left-hander Will Smith on a three-year deal with a fourth-year option. But $40 million guaranteed, Corey, and the makeover of the bullpen continues. And it is light years away from the group that opened the season in 2019, went up to Philadelphia, and that band did not stay together for very long, did it? No, and you know, I think this was the biggest winner for Will Smith we've seen since the '90s, right? I mean, you think, think about so, this: yes. Will Smith, you know, Bad Boys Three comes out. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, obviously, you know, the the Braves they they signed the biggest fish in the free agency in terms of bullpen arms, mm-hmm. and 
you know, whether you were surprised by that after going out and getting a Melanson, Martin and Green last year, I mean, this group is going to be so good. And you think about the makeup of that rotate that uh, starting uh, that uh, you think about the makeup of that bullpen last season. I mean, opening day, you know, we're talking about, you know, AJ Minter and Ronis Vizcaino. These, I mean, Viz is gone and, and AJ Minter is not even a lock to make this group uh, out of camp this year. I mean, it, it's staggering how big of a change they went through. And this, I mean, it's, it's, we're not making any leaps here saying this is going to be a top five bullpen without question in 2020. Yeah. And one of the Braves biggest weapons, of course, and Smith's going to be a big part of that last year, 276 ERA with the San Francisco giants, 34 saves in his 63 appearances and also a personal best 13.2 strikeouts per nine, which was 12th best among major league relievers. So Will Smith was the best reliever available on the free agent market and the Braves acted very quickly to sign him and, being a Georgia product, if you will, for Smith, this is a homecoming of sorts and one that he's very excited about. But I'm interested to see how the Braves decide to deploy Will Smith because early indications are that Mark Melanson is going to get a chance to get most of the save opportunities, but that doesn't necessarily mean that Smith won't be the most valuable reliever in the Braves' bullpen. I'm starting to think that this is going to look a lot like Andrew Miller's stay with the Mm -hmm. Cleveland Indians as far as how the Braves would like to use Smith, whether it be coming in, and cleaning up some problems in the 6th, 7th, and 8th innings, throwing the ninth inning if you need him to, but just a guy that pretty much because of his success against both righties and lefties, you can really lean on Smith in a way that I'm not sure you can lean on any other arm that the Braves have in the bullpen. I, you know, I think that's obviously a uh, astute comment there. I mean, I think it's, you know, Andrew Miller is a, is a very interesting uh, approach. I've often wondered whether or not, you know, Snicker, who has more often than not, enjoyed roles, you know, yep. and very much in defined roles in a bullpen, how he would work with somebody like that. Certainly he's going to get information. We've heard this many times from him and Alex Anthopoulos. He's going to get information and how he disseminates or uses that information um, is up to him. But I've always wondered how he would handle somebody uh, who doesn't necessarily need to say, okay, this is my eighth inning guy. This is my closer. But if you're going to have that, I mean, Will Smith is an obvious candidate for them to try this and see, you know, what you do with that dominant of an arm. You know, if things don't go right for Melanson, does he slide easily into that role? And then yep. we're having a very different conversation. I think that's, you know, we didn't see the best of Melanson at, all the time uh, after the trade. I mean, certainly there were some really highs from him. Uh, but I think it's going to be fascinating to see how Brian Snicker in particular uh, deals with having a weapon like Will Smith. Yeah, and let's talk about these guys in tandem. They're former Giants teammates. Will Smith comes into his age 30 season, and again, I just ran through the numbers, 34 saves last year, so he was the Giants' closer. And San Francisco had signed Melanson quite a few years ago, hoping that he would be their closer. That aside, as you look at Melanson losing that closer's job and not regaining it, Smith took it over, and now it's kind of a juxtaposition, if you will, as Smith steps into Atlanta but I don't think either one of them are really thinking too much about just that role. But Melanson, as you mentioned, there were, I thought, more ups than downs for him. But in a game one of the National League Division Series, ended up just going off the rails when Chris Martin got hurt. Luke Jackson was thrown in, got roughed up. Melanson came in, and he got roughed up as well. And that, I don't want to say set the tone for the series because the Braves very well could have and should have won the Division Series. But Melanson's meltdown in game one was certainly one of the things you look back on and you have to chalk that up as being one of the things you'd like to have back if you could. But overall, with the Braves, 386 ERA after coming over in the trade, but his fielding independent pitching well under two, and his opponent's OPS in 23 appearances with the Braves well under 600. That's OPS, not on base percentage, but OPS. So 
he was able to, I think, limit the damage quite obviously. And other than one really bad outing against Miami, I thought Melanson, especially with the struggles of Shane Green, earned the opportunity to be the Braves' closer in the second half of last year. Think about this. If he hadn't been so good after they moved him into that closer role, those moves made at the deadline could have uh, may not I mean, have worked. It could have looked disastrous. Yeah, it would not have worked. And you know the fact that whether Greens and certainly you think about the peripheral numbers, and we can you know, we'll get into this later. Yeah. Um, how much you bought into that? The fact that it did not work immediately. Um, they are so lucky they have Melanson to lean on somebody with that experience. And um, yeah, the, the postseason you know had its lows for him, but. 10-3 Ks per nine in a mm-hmm. in a Braves uniform. I mean, there was a lot to like, uh, certainly from Melanson last year. Yeah, he led National League relievers with a ground ball percentage of 62.1%. That's a good stat wow. to put the ball on the ground for the Braves. Also, he kept the ball in the park, .53 homers per nine. So getting the ball on the ground, so weak contact, and also keeping the ball in the park, some pretty big things for him. And I think factors of why he did have success when coming over to pitch for the Braves after – really kind of being, I don't want to say lost in the shuffle in San Francisco, but certainly not being a featured reliever there and a guy that they were happy to divest themselves of the money. And Melanson, with $14 million on the slate this year, you put him along with Will Smith and, of course, with Shane Green, and then you throw in the fact that Chris Martin is back and the Braves have spent about $40 million on four arms in their bullpen. So that's a pretty big chunk of the team's payroll, which, oh, by the way, is now a franchise high at around $150 million that's crept to the 10th spot right now of projected contracts as far as the top 10 in Major League Baseball, which is a place the Braves have not been in quite some time. So suffice it to say, the Braves have put an awful lot of money in this bullpen, and Smith and Melanson are the guys getting the most, but they've also got Shane Green back at $6.25 million this year, and they signed a two-year deal with Chris Martin. Uh, as I look at this overall, though, I feel pretty good about having this many veterans and guys that have pitched either in the late innings or had the opportunity to close as well. And it's something that not a lot of clubs across Major League Baseball can boast as well. Think about the closer position and how, you know, we're not that far removed from thinking of a Rolis Chapman, Kenley Jansen, mm-hmm. Craig Kimbrell as these dominant, okay, there's Craig Kimbrell's music. This is, you know, the lights are coming on, the Guns N' Roses is hitting, and it's game over. I mean, there's nobody that you feel like right now comes in and it's just, even Josh Hader, I mean, it just doesn't feel like there's anybody who comes into a game and completely changes the tenor of that game anymore uh, from a leaf pitching standpoint. And just to have that this depth, I think it makes it an entirely different weapon. Um, it, it, I think it, it, this is, I mean, this is such a huge move for them to just go all in in this department because they didn't have to go all in here. I mean, they easily could have, you know, I mean, you think about not getting Donaldson back. I mean, they could have put money somewhere else but yeah. th- to have this group be this dominant. Are potentially this dominant. Um, this is going to be. It's going to be fascinating to see, you know, what this group is capable of and how much freedom, how much pressure that takes off uh, this rotation. Uh, this bullpen has a chance to be really, really good. Well, on paper, where the games are most certainly not played, you look at Will Smith being the big signing of the offseason. Melanson bringing him over was more of a change of scenery trade of sorts, but Shane Green was supposed to be, I think, the big acquisition for the Braves at the trade deadline just based on how ridiculously good his numbers were with the Detroit Tigers and an all-star appearance. 1.18 ERA, 22 saves for a last-place team in Detroit. A little bit different when you come and start closing for a team in first place. And, of course, you're going to pitch some innings in October. But for Shane Green, after a bumpy start, he was able to settle in. And the final 24 appearances he made in a Braves uniform, 
2.49 ERA in opponents' OPS, much like Mark Melanson, 5.91. So both these guys were having success down the stretch, even though Green kind of shifted into the role that I think had been earmarked for Melanson when he came over. So I don't think that much is going to change about Green's role right now. It's going to be seventh, eighth inning. He's going to get some leverage opportunities, I would imagine. And it's good to have a Shane Green to perhaps close a game when Mark Melanson has thrown three times in the last four days or Will Smith has thrown three times in the last four days or both have done so. And even a Chris Martin that you throw in there as well, these are guys that I feel like you will be more comfortable with handing the ball to with a one-run lead in the late innings, and you don't have just one or two of them. You've got four of them right now. And, again, you start throwing in some of the other arms that the Braves have. Say what you want about Luke Jackson, good, bad, or indifferent. He kind of saved the Braves' bullpen in a big-time way before all these moves were made to bring in some reinforcements. So I'm really fascinated to see how the five of those guys are deployed at different times, especially if there is any question about who's supposed to be throwing the ninth inning which may be really the uh, least important in some ways of the roles that are handed out in the bullpen because you got to get the lead to the ninth inning in order to get a save. And again, I go back to how does Brian Snicker use these guys because, you know, I mean, think back to the days of Jim Johnson being this team's closer. Yeah. And, you know, they you know, and they were very adamant back in those days. Okay, guys are comfortable in their roles. Guys like having their roles. Well, you don't have to do that anymore. And, you know, you have so many guys that can throw multiples if you need to. You know, Luke Jackson's obviously been a starter at, at points. I mean, you've got guys that can handle. Uh, and, and you've got tons of depth. Uh, and, and, again, you you mentioned it. So many guys with closing experience. Um, you know, it's it, it, they they've never had this le- – I mean, they've had such dominant bullpens in the past. I mean, certainly, you know, with Kimbrell and Venters and O'Flaherty. Yeah. Uh, but not to this degree where you can go – you know, five deep and, and, and believe that you have, you know, guys that you can trot out there that are going to, that have closed games that, you know, you feel like you can rely on. So um, th- this is going to be a very different look for them, but a, an incredibly potent uh, group for sure. And guys that can miss bats as well. And guys that throw strikes, which I think is pretty important as uh, mentioned with green, the last 24 appearances, ERA about two and a half. I mean, his first few outings, his first three outings with the Braves, He had a loss, a blown save, and gave up five runs, five earned runs in those three outings, which is as many earned runs as he had allowed in his time with the Tigers over the first, what, three and a half, four months of the season. So things changed very quickly, but he did, to his credit, get back on the horse and give the Braves some important innings over the final uh, month and a half of the season after getting over that little bump in the road, if you will. Chris Martin, meanwhile, a two-year, $14 million contract he signed to come back to the Braves after being acquired from the Rangers, for Colby Allard at the trade deadline as well as one of the Braves' three big trades to revamp this bullpen. Uh, Martin is a guy that, to say he has good control, is selling him short. 13 strikeouts to every walk last season, which is an absurd number, by the way. And the best among relievers with at least 50 innings pitched in the major leagues over the last two seasons. Not one season, but two seasons. So uh, tremendous control for him, 340 ERA, And I think that this is a guy that had he not gotten hurt in game one of the division series, we might be having a different conversation. We might have had a a bunch of different conversations last October that would have been a lot more fun uh, for those of us who were hoping that the Braves could make themselves a run toward a World Series. But Chris Martin is back, age of 33. He's a fascinating story. Went over to Japan and was able to kind of reinvent himself and pitch his way back to the big leagues. And 
I think the Braves are pretty happy he did all that because they're looking forward to some big things out of Chris Martin this year. Yeah, 10-5-1 Ks per nine uh, last season. Uh, you know, the, the Bay Bip is a little elevated at 3-1-4, but this is a guy that, you know, stays in the zone. Throws I mean, strikes. This is a guy that does not walk. Yeah, he throws strikes. So, I mean, you're going to have that you're going to have the, you know, the, that contact be made. Uh, but yeah, this is a guy that does your right, have a fascinating story. And, uh, you know, I think getting him back, I just think they sent such a great signal, uh, Alex Anthopoulos and in, in going all in, uh, in this department and, and just backing up that, that, uh, that rotation, you know, I mean, you know, Martin could have gone elsewhere and probably set himself up for a closer role, uh, with the kind of numbers that he, that he put up and somebody have somebody given that opportunity to do that. But, um, you know, he was just, he was so great in, a, in, you know, the, in all in the second half, you know, for the Braves when you think about the numbers that he put up. So uh, I, I think this group is just, again, uh, I go back to just how dominant they had the potential to be, uh, but it's just, you know, just so many guys you can trot out there and, and, and getting Martin back, it was, was absolutely huge. And, you know, really, uh, you know, set the, helped set the tone for, you know, I think as much as Marcelo Zuna is a great signing, I mean, when you think about the totality of what they did this, this off season, um, it's not. To, uh, it's hard not to feel like you know the, the bullpen may end up being the biggest story uh, from what happens in the, the winter of 2019. Yeah, it set the tone most certainly by doing the uh, immediate signing of Will Smith and then re-signing Chris Martin as well. A guy that I want to talk about a little bit who was kind of one of those guys that you you really had a strong feeling one way or another about him. Didn't seem to be a whole lot of people in the middle here, and that was Luke Jackson. And I am of the opinion that Luke Jackson was a very valuable reliever for the Braves last year. Was every outing exactly what you wanted to be? No, it was not. But I will point out that this was a guy that gave up a grand slam home run on opening day and looked like he would be the first reliever, either being designated for assignment, released, traded, whatever you want to say, somehow ending up back in AAA Gwinnett if he was lucky or in some other organization. Had already happened to him in 2019, so he was, it was no stranger, was uh, Luke Jackson to being cut loose by this Braves team even. But as it turned out, he was kind of the last man standing of the opening day group that broke camp and went north and got swept by the Phillies in that opening series. And you know everybody kind of felt like the sky was falling. But a 384 ERA, he had 18 saves, most by a Braves pitcher this year, 9-2. and two. Uh, Again, 384 ERA, but his fielding independent pitching more than half a run lower. His expected fielding independent pitching just about two and a half. So... He pitched in some bad luck, and it was pretty evident from the eye test that there was some bad luck for Luke Jackson as well, but tremendous at missing bats, 13.12 strikeouts per nine, 14th highest in all of baseball. So Luke Jackson did far more good for the Braves than he did bad, and I think that you have to give a little bit of understanding that baseball is a very hard game. So uh, to have the expectations I think some people had of Luke Jackson, just because somebody slapped the word or the label of closer on him, yeah, it may not have been the ideal situation for the Braves on paper, but as I look at the paper right now, I feel pretty good about what Luke Jackson offered, especially when compared to what the expectations for him were at the start of the season. I love the friendly neighborhood slider man. Sure. I mean, through that pitch 53.8% of the time last year, I mean, 11.3, you know, weighted runs above average with that pitch. I mean, he told me he loved that role. I mean, when he got put into the closer role, yeah. he said he was having so much fun. Um, you know, he had been kind of pushed around between, you know, the, the rotation and bullpen uh, throughout his career. I know fans were hard on him and it wasn't always pretty, but think about the just what you got out of him. This was not supposed to happen. I mean, this was supposed to be Aronis Viscaino. This was supposed to be A.J. Minter. Yeah. It wasn't supposed to be 18 saves 
out of Luke Jackson. And I know that he blew seven of them and it was the highest, you know, the most in baseball uh, before, you know, you had those, those big deals at the trade deadline to bring in guys who actually had real closer experience. But I don't know that you could ask for much more from somebody who just got thrust into a position. And, you know, I think in the long run, it's going to be good for him because he's handled it. Right. And he's yeah. bounced back from it. And, you know, he's here. He is a camp once again, fighting for one of the spots to be in that, in that group. And, and he's got the, He's another guy with closing experience. And I mean, he's such a good guy. I mean, when you said, I mean, I hate playing that into it, but it's hard to root against Luke Jackson when you get to know Luke Jackson. Yeah, I agree. So, I mean, I think that's why I, you know, I hope that he's, uh, the fans are maybe a little less hard on him when you see him in the kind of role he's actually supposed to be in. Well, 13 strikeouts per nine, as I mentioned last year, also a ground ball rate of just over 60% as well. So he does have some strengths. And I do think being able to miss bats and get guys to put the ball on the ground, you, Look at the batting average on balls put in play. It's a stat that we've leaned on in this episode and also the previous one. It was 386. So hitters, I think, had maybe a little more good fortune with Luke Jackson on the mound. I don't think it was all just straight-up line drives to the outfield that you know nobody was going to catch. There were some, in particular, outings that I remember thinking, no luck except for bad luck for Luke Jackson in some of the more hairy situations that he got into a couple of times last year. But... That aside, a lot more good than bad from him, and he stepped up at a time when the Braves really didn't have an answer at the end of the bullpen. Somebody had to do it, and Luke Jackson did that job. And now, as you look at it, and Corey, as we pointed out many times, there are a lot of layers to this bullpen, and I don't think Luke Jackson has to really worry about being where the line ends, so to speak. But uh, Sean Newcomb is a guy that we covered in the starting pitching episode of the show, and he's a guy that I want to spend a little bit of time on here, but as we talked about before, He's going to get an opportunity to get stretched out and fight for the fifth spot in the Braves rotation, but 51 outings in relief last year for the Braves. ERA right at 3.04. Well outperformed his fielding independent pitching by almost a run and a quarter. However, there was a two-week stretch where he really had some struggles in the bullpen, and you started to kind of wonder what's going to go on here late July, early August, right after the Braves made those trades, and then Sean Newcomb righted the ship. So if he ends up back in the bullpen, I mean, we've talked about depth already, but I think that'd be nothing but a good thing in terms of that. But worse things could happen than having a lefty like Sean Newcomb being one of the arms that you count on in this bullpen that has been rebuilt and revamped and has a lot of layers. You know, it's funny when you think about how in the past, and, you know, Alex Anthopoulos has talked about this before with guys like uh, Gonzalez when he was in Toronto or Marcus Stroman. You know, you bring them up and you work them into roles in the bullpen to allow them to get used to the major league, you know, the grind and then, you know, become rotation pieces later on. There's not an opportunity for that with this team. I mean, we think about how deep this bullpen is. I mean, injuries aside, there's just not really opportunities for that. And if we're talking about, you know, Sean Newcomb winds up in this bullpen again, I mean, this is just going to be like a parade of dudes just coming out of that bullpen that, you know, you, you feel like you have confidence in and, um, you know, we've seen him be so good in that role. I, you know, I was kind of clear on this in the starting one. I, I think he has a leg up in my eyes uh, for one of these spots, and I hope he gets a long look at one of those spots. Um, but the stuff just plays so well in short spurts too. Um, and he just, you know, had an edge to him in that role last year. Um, but yeah, I, I hope I hope we end up uh, two months from now. I, I hope we're talking about Sean Newcomb being in this rotation. Well, we'll see how that plays out. Cole Hamels went healthy, of course, and then Max Fried make two lefties already in the rotation. I don't know if that would be a factor the Braves would really be looking at or if you just say, hey, let's get our five best arms and give each one of them the ball every fifth day and see how things shake out. So 
that, of course, will be a battle that Sean Newcomb will be looking to win, and he wants to carve out a role either way. So if it does end up that he's back in the bullpen, I think he's got both the experience and the necessary weapons to have success there as the numbers were bearing out last year. Let's talk about a couple of right-handers, one who is probably on the back nine of his career, or probably most definitely, and a guy that we wondered if we were ever going to see pitch in a Braves uniform last year, and turns out we did, and he was still pretty good at that point. That's Darren O'Day, who also came back to the Braves this year. One year, $2.75 million, a free agent contract that he signed uh, this winter as well. Kind of flew under the radar a bit, but O'Day had about a five- or six-year run where he was one of the most reliable relievers in the American League with the Baltimore Orioles, but injuries cost him a lot of 2018, a lot of 2019, almost the entire season as well. Uh, But this is a guy that has the experience and also I think lent a lot to the Braves bullpen as he was around some of these guys as they were trying to find the answers to put some things together before these trades happened at the deadline. So uh, O'Day may be kind of a an oddity, if you will, in that he's kind of a righty specialist as opposed to a lefty specialist. We know the three-batter minimum is going to be a thing in Major League Baseball this year, but I don't foresee that stopping O'Day from getting a full inning at times. But the fact that we're talking about an all-star reliever who has had a lot of success, perhaps as much or more success as just about anybody else in the bullpen for the Braves, maybe not the closer's experience, but Darren O'Day is kind of a a nice guy to have around as just another piece that you can put in and figure out what role might work for him and how he might best serve the Braves. Yeah, and he was a big tone setter, you know, in the clubhouse last year, oh, yeah. even though he wasn't playing. I mean, I know last offseason he worked out a lot with Mike Fultonevich and Charlie Culverson. Um, you know, I mean, certainly, you know, we, we have not been able to see anywhere close to the, the guy that he was for a time period there in an Orioles uniform. I remember, you know, Brian McCann saying last year, I mean, there was a time where you were just, you did not want to face this guy. I mean, you know, for through his career, I mean, a 252 weighted on base average against right-handers. We've seen him be really, really good. I don't know. I mean, certainly he has a club option for 2021. But again, I mean, it's like at what point do you draw the line and how many relievers this team's going to carry and, you know, trying to figure out spots and opportunities for these guys. I mean, it's going to be depth is certainly uh, the opportune word here. Yeah. O'Day is, again, was an all-star with the Orioles, but a nine-year run. How about these numbers for nine years? 234 ERA. Two and a half walks per nine, almost nine and a half strikeouts per nine, one home run per nine innings as well. And this was a guy that just dominated over a nine-year run. So it's a guy that may not be the same pitcher that he was, but I think a guy who still has enough to get hitters out and, of course, the smarts to get hitters out as well. So Darren O'Day at 37 years old looking to come back and have a full season for the first time in a couple of years. Meanwhile, Jacob Webb was a guy that we talked about a little bit last year who Kind of fell off in the second half thanks to an injury that ended his season early. But he was also, when Luke Jackson was busy closing down games and trying to help the Braves out any way he could, Jacob Webb was another guy that emerged in the middle of the season when the Braves needed him the most. 4-0 with a 139 ERA. Uh, about three runs better than his fielding independent pitching, which is a, a bit troubling. But, you know, he was still getting the outs one way or another. But not a ton of strikeouts and he was able to strand a lot of runners. I think that helped him out, and that, of course, bears out in the fielding independent pitching realm as well. But uh, this is a guy that has to be a factor, I would think, at least for one of the spots in the Braves' bullpen. And uh, with his success last year, it's hard not to think that Jacob Webb might have the inside track on one of those last couple of spots in the Braves' bullpen as they try to put this thing together. 
we've seen him put up some big strikeout numbers in the minors. And I know that Brian Snicker really likes his arm. So again, I mean, when you think about bringing back Darren O'Day, it's like you have so many guys like Jacob Webb and Patrick Weigel and just guys within your system that you could bring up and develop this way. Um, I just wonder at, at what point did you maybe not need to do some of these moves? I don't want to liken Darren O'Day to the Cole Hamels uh, deal, but um, they just have so many guys in-house that they could bring up and, and work into these roles. I and mean, we saw Webb be successful last year. Mm-hmm. They just have so many different options. Um, it's just, they're just so loaded in these, in these opportunities that they have for uh, out of the pen. I mean, it's uh, but yeah, I mean, I think Webb is certainly going to be a factor and is the guy that we saw some highs from last year. Uh, I, I do think we're going to see him uh, get some meaningful innings without question. Yeah, 11 strikeouts per nine in his minor league career. That's 177 and two-thirds innings. But last year with the Braves, just 7.8 strikeouts per nine. Not terrible, but obviously not eye-popping no. either. But if he could push that up closer to nine, maybe nine and a half, I think that he'd start missing enough bats that we won't be necessarily worrying as much about the strand rate because there won't be as many guys on. But healthy coming to camp as well was a big thing for Jacob Webb. And we'll see what he's able to do as he tries to earn a spot. Meanwhile, A.J. Minter will also be trying to earn a spot. Corey, you mentioned he came to spring training last year as one of the odds-on favorites to get a lot of save chances for the Braves. As it turned out, he didn't pitch much in the spring, had a, a fender bender of sorts, and wasn't able to get back on the mound, and then didn't spend much, if any time, at AAA Gwinnett before being tossed right back into the fire with the big league club. And it was not a good year for him. ERA over seven, fielding independent pitching over four and a half. And 7.1 walks per nine. That is not a good number. And that's how you have a whip that is two or above. And that's where A.J. Minter was sitting last year. Corey, he just never got right at any point in 2019, it seemed. No, and he told me when he was in Gwinnett that he really wanted to try to start focusing more on a changeup. And he said, you know, I didn't feel like I could truly try to develop that pitch at the major league level. I mean, it certainly, you know, it, it didn't have a ton of success with it yeah. in Gwinnett either. But I think he's just trying to figure out who he is. I know he wants to be the closer so bad. I mean, he wants that role. You know, that's that's what he feels like he's there for. And whether you, you know, want to draw the comparisons to him and Craig Kimbrell, I mean, I think he feels like that's what he's supposed to be doing. Um, but he's just got to get a secondary pitch to make you know, what he does so well be a valuable weapon. I mean, if he wants that slider to be really effective, he's got to have something like that change up and whether or not he can truly develop that. He, I know he, again, I know he tried last year. It just, he didn't have the ability to do it. So, uh, you know, with an off season to kind of tinker a little bit, it's going to be interesting to see how, uh, what he looks like when he gets the ball this spring. I've always liked his four-seam fastball, which has been 95-plus, sometimes 97 or Mm -hmm. above throughout his minor league and even his major league career as well. But he really seems to have fallen in love with throwing the cutter a lot more. And that's a pitch that obviously is in the 90s as well. But I just don't love that pitch for him for whatever reason. And maybe that's just looking at the results and saying, hey, maybe don't throw so many cutters, try something different. But that's easy for me to say. I'm not a major league pitcher. Maybe that's a a degree of comfort, and as you pointed out, it's some of the other offerings that aren't really getting the job done consistently for him as well to really make hitters have to respect another pitch. And, uh, you know, when you're walking seven batters per nine, giving up 11 hits per nine, that's probably not going to end up in being too many good nights on the mound. Uh, But A.J. was able to strike out 10.7 batters per nine last year if we're looking for maybe one silver lining in here. So he still missed some bats, but... Again, you got base runners all over the place. That's not really going to factor into much 
and it's going to make him hard-pressed, I think, to have much margin for error this spring as he tries to earn a spot in this bullpen. And one of the reasons why is he's left-handed. That's going to help, I think, a bit. But if Sean Newcomb doesn't make the rotation, that's a left-hander who could slot into the bullpen. Otherwise, Will Smith's kind of your primary lefty at that point. Braves also brought back Grant Dayton, a 32-year-old who has had to deal with some injuries himself, but could be a guy that they could lean on if they just need another left-handed arm in the bullpen at the big league level. And and that's one of the reasons why you'd offer him arbitration to bring him back. Yeah, and with Minter, I mean, we've watched the walks just escalate with him year after year. I mean, think back to that first stint we saw him in 2017. We watched 1.2 per nine, and then it's up to 3.2, and then it's over seven last season. It's just like he just can't find himself anymore and whether or not this is the opportunity for that in this loaded of a bullpen i mean he's not going to get a lot of opportunities for growth with this group no i mean you know maybe it comes in going at maybe the best thing for a guy like him is to have a longer stint uh, in triple a to kind of figure things out but um, it's incredible to think we're two years removed from saying okay this is the closer of the future is establishing himself to wondering if he's even going to make the team out of camp Yeah, it's crazy to see how in baseball sometimes it happens that quickly. And for A.J. Mentor, it has. But there is some time for him to reclaim at least a spot in the bullpen and turn some of that potential into results again. Just 2019 was kind of a lost year for him. And A.J. Mentor will be trying to earn a spot this time around rather than coming in as possibly one of the guys that's going to be closing the door for the Braves. He might be a guy that's just going to have to figure out where exactly is he can fit in on a group that is extremely deep and has a lot of closers experience at this point. Also in camp, the Braves brought back right-hander Josh Tomlin, who served as a long man last year. I thought he did a really nice job. His control, certainly something you love. He comes in and throws strikes. Did a lot of that for the Braves. 35 years old now, non-roster invitee to spring training. Chris Russon, a lefty who spent some time with the Rockies, was pretty good a couple of years ago, but has kind of gotten beaten around since. He's 33 years old. Chris Nunn and Thomas Burroughs are other left-handed options that are non-roster invitees. And then you've got Ben Rowan, who was a guy that spent some time at Gwinnett last year, and Kurt Hoekstra, who was a position player as a young minor leaguer for Atlanta, who has moved to the mound after six seasons as an infielder. So he'll be an interesting guy to watch, but I I don't really expect him to uh, crack the bullpen out of spring training. And Connor Johnstone, another guy that I think will be more of a triple-A Gwinnett kind of guy. But those are some of the options who are non-roster invitees. Any of those guys jump out to you, Corey, as uh, guys we should watch? Or uh, would you kind of agree with me that a lot of this might have been just some minor league depth if guys are going to stick around the organization? I think that's probably true. I mean, a year ago, I thought we were going to see Burroughs uh, at the major league level, yeah. but he kind of imploded last year, you know, a 4-4-2 ERA. I mean, the strikeouts weren't nearly as high as they were um, in 18. Um you know, I, I thought, you know, with a lefty weapon, another lefty weapon. Um, but they're just, I mean, when you start trying to figure out, are they going to carry, you know, how many relievers are they going to carry? I mean, it's hard to find where these guys, some of these yeah. guys are even no, going to have an opportunity. I mean, it, it's it's going to be extremely tough. I mean, you're looking, what, six deep before you're even having an opportunity for somebody else to slot in. So, this is it's just difficult to find roles for any of these guys i think it is also on the 40 man guys who are in camp tuki toussaint you know is he a starter is he a reliever that's a good question but chad sabatka and jeremy walker both got big league innings out of the bullpen for the braves last year sabatka was another one of the 2019 crew that it just didn't go the way that you'd hoped it would for him after showing some real flashes in 2018 Uh, jeremy walker though i've liked what i've seen out of him for the most part 
And then, as I mentioned, with Phil Pfeiffer, Waskari Noah, and Patrick Weigel, we brought these names up before, but I think, Corey, you mentioned, especially with Weigel, and I would say also with Enoa, you know, these are big arms. They could be bullpen weapons at some point, but that doesn't mean necessarily they're going to make the opening day squad. No, and I love Patrick Weigel. I mean, Me too. I think this guy's, I mean, just so intimidating, 6'6", 240, you know, just the ball, you know, <laughs> got to look like it's coming right at you, you know, the, that arm angle and, you know, it's touched triple digits in the past. You know, you had last year coming back from Tommy John surgery. Um, you know, I, I know they obviously gave him the call up, but he didn't actually pitch uh, when he when he was up. So I think I do think we see him get some innings at some point this year. Yeah, I'll be interested to see what all of these guys do and what their role is going to be when they get down to Triple A Gwinnett. And you've only got five spots in the rotation. And even if you kind of get creative and figure out a way to get a six guys starting, there's just not going to be enough starting innings to go around. And this, again, becomes uh, which one of these guys can step into a bullpen role and perhaps excel. And at some point in 2020, which ones of these guys might end up being part of a package deal to make a big trade that helps the major league team either for 2020 or beyond if it's a blockbuster-type trade and you finally cash in some of these prospect trade ships because the Braves have an awful lot of pitchers. And while you want all the depth that you can – some of the young arms, maybe even the guys trying to crack into the rotation, especially where is going to be the point of diminishing returns? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we saw that with Colby Allard, right? I mean, there was a point where Allard looked like he was right there with Soroka in terms of, you know, where they slotted in in this organization. He was a second, he was the number two pitcher in this organization, right? I yep. mean, and, you know, and you end up not saying that you don't get anywhere near that return, but they didn't get what they would have uh, had Colby not pitched at the major league level. So, um, you know, I do wonder with about guys like Tukey and Bryce Wilson, and you know, when you think about bringing some of these other young arms up, that's the big debate, right? At mm-hmm. what point do you start to diminish the return? Yep. Some of the many stories we'll be monitoring throughout the spring, of course, throughout the regular season as well. But uh, Corey, I would say it's probably the understatement of the spring to point out that the Braves bullpen that is slated to begin the 2020 season light years ahead of the group that broke camp in 2019 that really needed a makeover, and that makeover not only happened at the trade deadline but it extended into this offseason as well. Yeah, they made Brian Snicker's job a lot easier yeah, in terms of trying to figure out how he's going to handle late innings. You know, when you have this much depth and you got a, this many guys to close, I mean, uh, yeah, Snit's job will be very easy this season for sure. Yeah, some of these problems should take care of themselves if guys stay healthy and produce the way that they have in the past. So a lot to like there, and of course a lot to like in the Sprays preview series as we have now knocked out the starting rotation. And as of this episode, we've knocked out the bullpen as well. Corey, I look forward to Catching up with you again soon when we focus on the Atlantic catchers. You got it. My thanks again to Corey McCartney for jumping on the show to talk about the Atlanta Braves bullpen. And with that said, I want to remind you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Leave those ratings and those reviews and connect with us on social media at from the diamond underscore on Twitter is where you can find the show. I'm on Twitter as well at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. Find the show on Instagram at From the Diamond. I am at Grant McCauley on Instagram. And everything, including this positional preview series, the audio version, the written version, and every episode of the show is at FromTheDiamond.com. Thanks again for joining us and listening in as we continue this Braves positional preview series. We've done the entire pitching staff now. And next up, we'll talk about the Atlanta catchers. And that will be coming your way on the next Braves preview edition of From the Diamond. So until then, for Corey McCartney, I'm Grant McCauley, and we will catch you next time. So long, everyone.